It all began when Chris Magwood built the first permitted straw bale house in Ontario, Canada. Two decades later, and Chris is one of the foremost builders, educators, researchers, and advocates for sustainable construction in the country. Along the way, however, Chris ran into what he calls the carbon elephant in the room. Embodied carbon measures the total greenhouse gas emissions from harvesting, transporting, and manufacturing building materials. The thing is, people have become so focused on making buildings more energy efficient, they forget to measure the impact of building materials, which by some estimates account for 11% of global emissions. But Chris Magwood is determined to change that reality as he continues to build better buildings for everyone. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Chris Magwood of the Endeavor Center. He chats about the evolution of sustainable design and how issues like embodied carbon has inspired a bit of a rethink in approach. Chris also shares his passion for exploring new materials, techniques, and innovative systems, all towards one goal of making the best buildings possible for people and planet. Tell us a bit about how you got into this work. I started just by building uh, a house for um, uh, myself and my family um, back in, I guess, 1996. We started that. It had the same kind of notion that I think a lot of people have that what we saw in the conventional construction world didn't seem to, you know, answer our questions about environmental sustainability and health and efficiency and, and all those questions that have sort of, uh, you know, motivated people in, in green building movement for a long time. And so after a lot of research, we ended up building the first uh, permitted straw bale house in Ontario. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. I found myself really liking the building work a lot, although I'd never done it before. Um, but I had no intention of continuing on to be a builder, except that once we finished the house and even while it was underway, people just started finding out about what we were doing and, and kind of just showing up and asking questions. And some of those questions turned into, would you come and help on our project or come and you know, teach a workshop in my farm or something like that. And those those things turned into people wanting somebody to build a house for them. And within a few years, uh, myself with, with two other partners, we were basically building uh, and designing full time. And, and why straw bale? Like, what is it about that, that that attracted you? Well, we did a lot of research and all the reasons that we wanted to build this house were were being answered with this material. You know, it was local, it was non-toxic, it was highly insulative. Um, you know, it yeah, it just it sort of ticked all the boxes, all the boxes we wanted. Yeah, yeah. And then once I started working with it, there's a certain um, pleasure just in working with the material. Like I still mm-hmm. to this day, you know, it's one of my favorite things to do is to you know handle bales and stack them up in a wall. So it uh yeah it just really right. appealed to me on on lots of levels so interesting and so um when did you start the endeavor center and 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 tell us a bit about that and how that came about 
So the Endeavor Center is a um, not-for-profit sustainable building school, and we're uh, in Peterborough, Ontario. And we started in 2011. The, our sort of main course is a um, – it runs anywhere from four to six months, depending on the year, full-time program, where basically the class comes and builds a building with us from start to finish. So people kind of get to see the complete arc of one whole project – so from bare ground to final finishes, um, you know, working with trades on site, electricians and heating installers and plumbers and stuff like that. So you kind of get a sense of not just, oh, I'm really interested in one piece, like, oh, the straw bale sounds really cool. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people do that and then think, oh, now I can build a house. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, we really try to give people a sense of, of what it takes to do um, a whole project and kind of hit you know, what we think of as sort of the highest levels of sustainability that, that you know, we know how. Um, and even that's a sort of rare opportunity. You know, if you if you go the regular trades route and you're interested in uh, any kind of green building, you might go years before you even work on a project that has one cool or interesting or sort of <laughs> progressive kind of idea in it. And, and so our program kind of has, it has them all. You know, mm -hmm. you can be with lots of different interesting materials, lots of really innovative um, mechanical systems. Um, you know, this year we're doing a full composting toilet and gray water system. So you get, you kind of get to see how all of that works and, and kind of in real time, you know, what the, the, the ups and downs of a project are and, you know, working with, you know, having to get it inspected by the municipality and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then we do offer a lot of sort of shorter workshops, you know, uh, anything from one to five days on particular sort of skills or material types. Uh, we do a lot of women's only programming. Um, so to try to encourage more women to, you know, get skilled up and think about the trades or, you know, even just think about doing their own their own house or projects around their house. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, so now let's get to uh, embodied carbon the term that I've been uh, dying to ask you more about. It, it just, to me, is fascinating. You call it the, the carbon elephant in the room. Um, and, and in our world where we're constantly talking about energy efficiency and, you know, passive houses, and why don't you get more into that and explain how, how it relates to this whole concept of sustainable construction? Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, the, like, the term embodied yeah. carbon, I think, is really confusing. And I've actually been been sort of waving my arms around a bit in the in the academic space where people use the term and say, hey, this is a really bad <laughs> way to describe <laughs> this thing because, you know, to me, embodied carbon sounds like the carbon that's in something. Right. Uh, but what it what it actually means is the amount of emissions that are associated with um, on the material side, sort of going out and harvesting raw materials, getting them to a, a factory or processing facility and then all the work that kind of goes on there mm -hmm. to turn it into a building product. And and so, yeah, for a long time, that's kind of been ignored in, in the green building world. Um, you know, in the in the sort of early days of the, the energy efficiency uh, movement in the sort of starting in the 70s and, and through the 80s, there were a lot of people who sort of, I think, just off the top of their heads kind of said, well, it doesn't. That doesn't really matter. It's a tiny percentage. What we really need to do is focus on making the buildings more energy efficient, because, you know, the amount of energy we're using in buildings will far outweigh 
what went into making them right. and and so everybody just kind of held on to that as a truism for a very long time right um and it, you know myself included um you know in, in our building practice you know we were sort of pursuing energy efficiency in a in a really um you know dedicated kind of way um, but you know as as i was you know hearing about and thinking about climate change more it sort of struck me that you know i should probably know what the upfront carbon footprint of one of our buildings is because you know we're responsible builders and mm-hmm. i should at least know and i've been assuming that maybe it's not a big deal but i should go check it out and i found a, a database that came out of the uk um in uh, i think 2010 or so that kind of gave figures for all these different building materials so they had kind of come up with a methodology for assessing the emissions related with making materials mm-hmm. and published this database and so i took that database and i did some back of the envelope kind of quick looks at some of our building projects and i was a bit astounded by some of the answers i was really surprised by how high the emissions levels were with some materials and how low they were with others and then i started looking at our own projects and and realizing like oh by the virtue of you know being interested in building health local materials um, all that kind of stuff that I was using materials that by and large had very low carbon footprint, um, but also unknowingly using some materials that had very high carbon footprint associated with them. And so, because of the embodied carbon? That's right, yeah. And so it, could you give us an example, what kind of thing? Like what did you see? Sure, like the, the big one is is concrete. Okay. So the, the, the Portland cement that's the glue that holds concrete together um, – for every kilogram of that Portland cement that we manufacture, a kilogram of CO2 goes into the atmosphere. And, you know, on the planet, we make literally like billions of tons of this a year. If the cement industry was a country, it would be the third largest emitter on the planet. Most of the most of the um, the, the, the petrochemical foam insulations also have incredibly high um, carbon footprint associated with manufacturing them. Um, Metals, you know, uh, in particular virgin aluminum, um, but steel is also quite high. So, you, you know, there's a whole range of things that are in pretty common circulation. Um, and then I sort of got to the point where I thought, well, if I want to do this properly, I should go back to school. So I went and uh, and did a master's at Trent University where I sort of really dove in and, and studied a couple buildings and all the possible materials that could go into them and mm-hmm. found you know, this this huge split from buildings that had literally, you know, 400 kilograms of emissions per square meter of building area. So, you know, almost a ton for every two square meters down to buildings that actually stored almost that much carbon uh, in their materials on a sort of net basis. And so this this massive split between buildings that were actually you know, really quite responsible for driving climate change, you know, to buildings that could be reversing it. And wow. so, you know, that's that's the message I'm sort of, you know, uh, out there <laughs> trying to yeah. get get these days is that, you know, by by material choice, we could, you know, be making this this huge difference. And is it strictly the material choice or is it also 
the the emissions that come out of let's say transporting material to certain places it definitely it definitely comes into play hmm. uh, um, for the the buildings that I've calculated out the the transportation of materials sort of from their factory yeah. to my job site um, it kind of averages out to be around 10% of the total mm -hmm. embodied carbon and so it's not insignificant but it's certainly not the most significant part so okay so it's the material uh, itself that's probably the most important most yeah yeah okay yeah although you know i wouldn't want to drive somebody to you know importing some material that has a great embodied carbon score you know in small quantities from the other side of the planet and think right. Right. that you're doing the greatest thing you know but <laughs> but in some cases you know we have um I did look at there's a material uh, the, a wood fiberboard insulation that currently is only made in Europe and, and do use it here. And, you know, I looked at at that and even with the transportation uh, from Europe uh, to here by both ship, train and truck, because that's what it takes to get it uh, here. It's still a net store of carbon by the time it gets here. So, you know, that one is still uh, a reasonable thing. And that's you know, why I was looking into tra the transportation side is to make sure I wasn't making choices that were, uh, you know, wrong according to the, the logic I was following. Got it. Um, and so what is the, in terms of the regulatory framework, um, I know that, um, you know, for example, the province of Ontario here in Canada, they, they provide... Um, you know, incentives to people who are trying to create energy efficiency homes, you know, can they be helping move people in the direction of understanding embodied carbon now? Yeah, well, and that's, that's the exact result that kind of popped out of the, the master's thesis I did, because I, I looked, you know, both at, at the materials and at the energy efficiency of the, the, the buildings that I was modeling. Mm -hmm. And I looked at them sort of, if they were just meeting code minimums for energy efficiency and I looked at what they would look like if um, if they were at the sort of net zero efficiency levels that codes are are headed to in the next decade right and yeah if you know the the result is if you built with the the materials that have the highest embodied carbon that will actually outweigh the benefits of the energy efficiency steps you're taking for anywhere from sort of like 30 to 60 years so in other words, you, you're sort of investing in more insulation and better windows and all these things that, that, that we're all being encouraged to do. But if you do that with the wrong materials, the building will be more energy efficient. So it'll have all the benefits of an energy efficient building in terms of lower cost, more comfort, all that kind of stuff. But, but for the climate, you'll, you'll have actually done a worse thing uh, than if you just used slightly better materials and did a code compliant building and so that that result surprised me yeah. <laughs> and it's also surprising everybody who sees it and it's you know it's definitely causing uh, a lot of you know conversations in the past uh, mm -hmm. six months with you know regulators builders people who run energy efficiency programs and at this point you know it, it certainly hasn't made it into the regulatory uh, framework yet, but but the the discussions are moving way faster than I ever would have imagined, and uh, and there's a you know a number of of kind of policy discussions and and initiatives and stuff that that I'm involved in now that that make me really hopeful. I'm really Good. surprised. I thought I would be sort of shouting into the wind for a lot yeah. of years, 
but I'm really shocked at how quickly um, you know people are, are are sort of taking it up and and giving it real consideration, and I think it will end up being you know a, a major part of the discussion within a few years. Is there anything else you wish people understood when creating energy efficient homes? What what was really interesting is that when I sort of scanned the list of best possible materials from the embodied carbon study I did, they also mapped pretty much like completely with the materials that were the most healthy. Mm. And so um, in a lot of ways, those the two the two things, you know, twin up really well. Right. Uh, but I think, you know, the thing that 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 people sort of misunderstand with with green building or sustainable building in general is that a lot of people come to it with a with a very sort of singular lens whether it's for some people it is energy efficiency for some people it is building health for some people it's costs you know there's yeah. everybody kind of has their own lens but but you never get a really good building unless you're paying attention to all of those things mm-hmm. you know you if you don't sort of keep keep your lens really wide you start making decisions that completely make sense in terms of meeting one criteria, but can completely be undermining all of the others. And so, you know, I don't think anybody sets out to make a highly toxic, unhealthy building. But if you're if you don't have your eyes open to that and you're just thinking about energy efficiency or you're just thinking about costs or you're just thinking about any of the other ways you could be, you know, looking at at this you can you can end up with some pretty big unintended consequences and so i think you know our our approach of endeavor and the you know the approach that we try to inform people about all the time is to you know all of these things kind of go together hand in hand and you sort of need a pretty holistic approach if you if you really want the the best possible results that makes sense and and just to make sure just to clarify when you say the toxic um, toxic elements that could could be in material is that what you were referring to before with the concrete and, and stuff like that or is there anything else that and are you talking commercial and residential here or or one or the other yeah I'm talking the the buildings you know world in general and actually okay. you know concrete's one of those interesting ones where it um, it's really bad for the climate yeah but it's not at all bad for human beings. beings, (laughs) So, you know, so that's where, you know, you can, if you're just trying to say all you care about is my own health in my building, right. I might use a ton of concrete and not think about the fact that, Oh, I'm destroying the climate while I do that. But you might be thinking, you know, so much about your, your energy efficiency that you fill your building up with foam insulation. That's full of really dangerous flame retardants that are some of the most, you know, persistent and problematic chemicals on the planet. And so it really takes thinking about in a holistic way to not Mm. make mistakes that you either didn't even anticipate being a mistake or that later on you sort of come to regret when, you know, when the the effects of that sort of come back to to haunt you a bit. Um, And most people don't realize that there is absolutely no regulation of chemical content in building materials at all, the code has no um, explicit rules or regulations. The only two things that you can't legally put in a building are asbestos and lead. And other than that, it's a wild west free for all in terms of wow. of chemical content. And, and you're talking and in Ontario, right? 
I'm talking anywhere in Canada. Oh, anywhere in Canada. Anywhere in North America. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay. And yeah. do you think that's going to change? I mean, that's kind of big, too. It is kind of big. Um, and I do see it changing that the Healthy Buildings Network is a is a really great sort of collaborative um, in here in North America that, that – um, gets uh, building manufacturers to sort of disclose all the the content in their materials and they have a great you know online free database that people can use and there are programs like cradle to cradle and declare that are getting really good at getting manufacturers to sort of at least tell you what's in their products mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of driving change to to clean them up but um yeah it's it, it can be really shocking i know when we do workshops for people i I take them through, you know, a handful of really common building materials and show them what's actually in them. And everybody's jaw kind of hits the floor because yeah. everybody assumes that, well, I would be being protected from that by somebody, wouldn't I? You know, doesn't some agency somewhere have a say about this? And it's it seems kind of crazy. But but the answer is no, like there's absolutely no oversight of of chemicals in buildings. We put out um, a book called Essential Sustainable Home Design that, that's kind of our, you know, this way of thinking put yeah. in a book that people can, you know, refer to. Um, but I think, you know, the main thing is to uh, people sort of laugh in, in our courses and, and when I work with people on their designs that, that I basically act like a three-year-old in a, in a design meeting where – <laughs> somebody says you know oh i want a straw bale house and my first reaction is why and then they'll tell me why and if that's that doesn't get to the root of it for me i'll just i'll just say why until it's like i want to know what the motivation is yeah. and if it turns out that it's about material health now i know that you know if it turns out that it's about lower cost or you know whatever it happens to be it could right. be a bunch of those things but but for me it's you need to be clear on what you're setting out to do and then go find the sort of materials and systems that do that for you rather than thinking about a building as a collection of materials and systems. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want straw bale walls and solar panels on the roof and a rainwater collection system. Like these are, those are and can be really good things, but, but don't get attached to them as, as things. You know, get attached and really figure out what your ideas are, what your actual motivation is, like what are you trying to create and why. Then check all of the materials and stuff you're looking at to see if if there's a good match there. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Bruno.